Good morning to everyone here. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Mountain View. It is time to get into God's Word. Let's go to Luke 11, which is where we'll be this morning. Luke 11, 1 through 13 is where we're camping out, and we're looking at how Jesus teaches us to pray. And so if you uh, were here with us last week, we began a new series on uh, praying and dangerous prayers. And we're continuing that uh, today and looking about what Jesus, his own dis, uh, instructions look like when it comes to praying. Uh, before we get into anything, though, I want to show you a picture uh, that you may recognize if we could put it up here on the screen. Anybody recognize this from the news over the last two weeks? Well, we got at least two because you're here in the last service, so thank you for that. Um, but uh, on February 20th of uh, this year, United Airlines Flight uh, 328 headed from Denver, Colorado uh, to Honolulu uh, was, was flying. And about after 20 minutes after takeoff, that happened. And you may have seen on the news that there, there, there was debris that ended up fly, flying all over the place, getting on the ground. Well, I want to give you uh, a testimony from one of the, the, the gals who was on that flight. Obviously, uh, people made it out alive from this. They were able to land. And uh, Megan Hazelrig tells her story. And one of the things that she says was, all of a sudden, imagine being in her shoes. Just try to put yourself there, okay? All of a sudden, there was a huge bang sound, and the pilot stopped talking. And the flight attendants were kind of looking around, and the plane started violently shaking. And the lady that was sitting in the aisle seat, she said, her husband looked at her, and she was like, what's going on? And he, she tried to look out the window, but he put his body in front of the window so she couldn't look out, and he said, it's not good, because he had just seen that, and he didn't want his wife to see it, okay? And so, he, and so she says, I was freaking out. I was shaking. I was getting sweaty. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to throw up, and I don't know what's going on. This is anxiety at my highest. If I would have seen it, I probably would have had some sort of panic attack, and I would have bawled my eyes out. And then she said at the very end, she said, the pilot comes back on and he says, once they had landed, we have landed and we're not going to be able to take the plane any closer to the airport because it's still smoldering. And so this is what happened on February 20th. Why do I tell you this? I'll tell you for two reasons. Uh, reason number one, who's Megan? Megan... Megan just so happens to be uh, my wife Justine's cousin and her entire family that was flying out from South Dakota to Denver and then to Honolulu. By the way, um, they went back to the airport, rolled the dice and said, ah, what are the chances that we're going to have this happen again? They ended up enjoying their vacation in Hawaii and had a great time. Uh, so that's them. Uh, the second reason I tell you this is to put yourself in Megan's shoes, or better yet, the guy who was shielding his wife so she couldn't see this. If you were there, if you're the kind of praying person, if you're a praying type of person, which I hope all of us in this room are, um, what would you have prayed? Would you have prayed something along the lines like, if then, Lord, if you will get me out of this, I promise then I will go to church for all of my days. If you let me live, Lord, I promise I won't do that thing anymore. Or maybe you would have just been praying off your rap sheet and gone, just pleading with the Lord. Lord, Lord, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. I won't ever do that again. Please forgive me for this. Lord, just let me live. Or maybe, and this is and this is the over-idealized version of myself that I imagined if I was in a plane that was going down to turn profit all of a sudden and go, repent, the end is near, and get up and start telling everyone they need to turn, to turn to the Lord, right? Imagine what you might do in a moment like this. But in moments like this, uh, how we pray reveals what we think about God. Lord, deliver me, deliver 
Lord, save me. We think he's our savior, right? I've heard it said before that if you want to know what a person believes about God truly, just listen to them pray. And so a person's prayer life reveals how big or how small their God is. Lord, you ever heard this? Lord, I hope that you might be able to do this thing. That sounds like a small God. Lord of heaven's armies, the creator of the universe, you who are strong and almighty, work on our behalf. That sounds like a big God, right? Okay. My hope today is that by the time we are done looking at this passage in Luke 11, a few things will have happened. One, we'll know how to pray more clearly. But two, we will know the big God who we're praying to. And we'll see that this big God has a great gift he has, for, uh, has to give us. For many of us, he's, he's already given it to us, and it's a matter of if we live in it. And it is the gift of none other, the Holy Spirit. And we'll be talking about that towards the end of the service. So let's look at Luke 11, 1. And I'm just going to read uh, the whole thing. I read it, <laughs> the whole thing after last service. And I went, well, that was just great. Let's just sit down and be done with this. But it's such a beautiful passage. Let's look at this. Uh, Jesus is with his disciples in a certain place. This is what it says. And as they were finished, one of the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And just as John had taught his disciples. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us, the day, uh, give us each day the food that we need. And forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't lead us into temptation. Don't let us yield into temptation. Verse 5, then teaching them more about prayer, he, said, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you said to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he comes, he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will give up, get, he, will, he will get up and give you whatever you need because you have shameless persistence. We'll come back to that. And as I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks the door will be open. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give him a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, if you're going to begin one place, if you can start with one word, if you could only use one word, you begin by saying, Father, Father. And he, the Son points us to his dad to his father. And so this is not just some father maybe like how you may picture your own father, the one who may have abandoned you when you were young, the one who was not there when you needed him, or maybe the, the one who you could never live up to his expectations. No, this is the one true heavenly father. This is the one who is the creator over heaven and earth. This is the one who tells Morrow Rock where it should go and tells the Sierra Nevada mountains, you look like this and we get to enjoy the beauty of it when it's just rain. Only a few times, but when we get to enjoy it, that's what it looks like. You see that he is the creator, the one who has knit us together in our mother's womb, the one who has said we are fearfully and wonderfully made because he knows every single hair that is on our head. He knows us from top to bottom. He knows everything about us. He is in control. He sees all. He knows all. And he binds all of us together. And so this good one, the Lord says to us, if you're going to pray, pray to the Father and say, you are in a category all by yourself. Your name is worthy. 
Your name is worthy. And by the way, when you're saying your name is worthy, you have the right to be able to pray. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And so how is it from the very beginning, you and I can look at this. We haven't even really gotten into the sermon yet. I promise we'll get into it. But notice in that first, first word right there, by just saying Father, we have the effect of the gospel just in the first verse. How is it that you and I can say Father? It's because you and I have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who has died on the cross for my sin and for yours. And so we are presented clean to his dad and he says in the same way he said to his son, in you I am well pleased because we are in Christ. He looks at us and he says, in you I am well pleased as well. So we have access to our father. And our father says, pray for these things. And he's, well, so we pray for our daily needs. We ask for forgiveness and we ask that we would be kept from, te- from temptation. If I could sum it all up this way, I would say, that, say it like this. You have access to your dad and you bring your stuff to him. And that's the way Jesus teaches us how to pray. So number one there, pray like Jesus prayed to his father. Secondly, uh, let me point this out first. Um, there's a lady that I know named Sharon, and she is a, a great woman of God, and she was a part of a panel that I uh, put together when I was leading young adults about, um, about a year ago. And we're all together, and I remember um, in this panel, it was to, to show young adults what it was like uh, to, to go into marriage. And so th- th- we had different uh, people in different stages of life. And so uh, a couple that had just a few kids, no kids, and uh, empty nesters. And we got to ask them all sorts of questions. How do you move from an, uh, singleness to dating to engagement to marriage? And I remember Sharon, one of the things that she s- spoke, she said, I was not a Christian when I married my husband. And I look back on it, and I, and I just think to myself, and it just stuck with me. I remember her saying, I, I just remember what it would have been like if I would have had access to my father to be able to say, Lord, is this the right person I should marry? It, 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 how should I put this wedding together to glorify your name? Or, or now we're going to be parents, and, 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 how do I, and how do I bless your name? How do I do, follow, follow your wise counsel on how we lead and guide our family? And she said, don't do it the way I did it. Imagine what it would have been like if I would have had access to my Heavenly Father all the way through. Now, we would never call ourselves atheists. You know what an atheist is, right? An atheist is someone who does not believe that God exists. But why do we as Christians act like practical atheists when we try to take all of our burdens on by ourselves? Jesus looks at us and he says, you don't have to do it this way. Turn to my Father and he will answer you. Second thing in here. We're called to bother the Lord. Bother God and expect him to answer. So I think Jesus drives home this point even further when he says, okay, now let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a parable. Imagine for a moment, you've got a friend come over late at night and he wants to hang out and you don't have any food. And he says, and he says, and then you go over to, across the street to your next door neighbor and you say, I need three loaves of bread. And your neighbor says, no way. I'm in my, paj- I'm in my pajamas or I'm in my boxes hanging out second floor. I'm up here and I'm looking at my ring app and I want you to go away because I can see your butt at the front door. And you say, well, I still need food. I still need food. And he says, fine. After how long? of being bothered. And he comes down, gives you what you need. Why? Because he loves you, because he's a great friend. No, because he's sick of you. And so he's sick of you, and he wants you off of his porch, get off my lawn. That's how that goes. That's, that's Aaron's 21st century paraphrase of what Jesus said, okay? And so Jesus says, what's the difference between that person and our heavenly father? The difference is the first person is, does what should be done out of annoyance. The second instance of the father is he desires that you would bother him. You are no trouble 
When, when, when you come to him and say, Lord, I have this thing, help me. It is not troublesome for the Lord. He wants you to bother him. I had a friend of mine in college. His name was David. And uh, David was one of the star athletes on our soccer team uh, at Tabor. And we would have home games, and then we would have away games. And by nature of having away games, you got to go travel. We'd go out of state sometimes, and we'd be out for, you know, traveling for several hours on end. And all sorts of conversations would come up and uh, road trips, if you've got an experience, um, just a really good road trip. And uh, inevitably, the conversation would turn to things like religion. So who are they going to talk to when it comes to religion? This guy. And so we start talking about um, who knows what. And I remember saying to David, I had just had that moment where I could get in and say, hey, David, where are you at with the Lord? What's your relationship like with him these days? I'll never forget. I remember he said, you know, Aaron, I, I don't really feel like I can, I can go to God with my stuff. I've, I've got my stuff, but so many other people out there I know have their own junk that they're working through. Like, how can I go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me pass my final exams when I know somebody out, out there is, is dealing with uh, having to go through chemotherapy for cancer? They got real serious issues. How can the Lord expect to hear my needs? And on its surface, doesn't that sound like almost noble? Doesn't that sound almost so, somewhat like that, that, is, that is a respectable position that I don't want to bother God because he's got more important things going on. But what it actually betrays is this, is that he had actually a small, it made me sad because it showed that he actually had a small view of God as if God was not big enough to answer him where he was at and every single other person that lives. Isn't God everywhere? Isn't God sovereign? Is he in control of all things? So what I want to do is I want to throw a few lines that maybe some of us think about when it comes to prayer and then we don't pray. First one is is what I just said. God doesn't care about me. He's got more important things going on. Or how about this? I have to clean myself up. I think this identifies many of us who are evangelicals. I have to clean up myself before he'll listen to me. And so maybe for you, you, you would never say, um, I am saved by works, but you somehow don't feel like you're clean enough to go before the Lord. So you got to go to church first. You got to do that right thing next. You got to make sure that you've pleaded the blood or whatever it is for you. And then go, okay, now I feel better about myself, Father, right? For some of us? Or, or maybe how about this? I've sinned too many times for that same thing the Lord keeps forgiving me of. Surely he's tired with me and annoyed at me by my now. I've looked at that thing too many times. I've talked to that person when I shouldn't have. I know that verse that says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so does a man who goes back to his sin over and over again. But it's me yet still, Lord. Surely he's annoyed by me. And I just want to say, Christian, quit thinking that God would act like you if you were him. God is so much better than you are. He's so much better than I am. Doesn't he say in the prophets, doesn't he say, God is not a man that he would think or act like you? He is higher and he is better. He is the one whose love never runs dry. He is the one whose grace is greater still. And so where sin runs deep, we have the confidence to know as Christians, his grace runs deeper still. And by knowing that, we know that no matter what we have, whether you just screwed it up before he came into church just a few minutes ago, we have the confidence to know that our salvation is not based on, who we, on what we have done, what we've accomplished, or what we've messed up with. It is on the basis of who he is. Thank goodness that the gospel of Jesus Christ was not just good news for us when we became Christians and walked through the front door. 
It is good news right now to know that he still forgives me in this moment when I mess it up. Right. And so Jesus says, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says to us in Hebrews, he says, for we do not have a great high priest. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. He put his feet in the dirt for you. And so he understands what you're tempted with. And so if he understands what you're tempted with, you can say, Lord, lead us not into temptation. And he can say, I know what it's like to be tempted. And yet he never resisted. He is better because though you and I may deal with temptation and fall prey to it, he never fell prey to temptation. He actually understands it better than you and I do because he never said yes to falling into sin. And so we can say, Lord, deliver us. And he will say, I know how. I know how. And if that's not enough for you, let me throw this at you. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 2. Every single time I go to the Lord, I say, Lord, surely you have to be tired of me. Surely you have to be tired. I'm giving the same junk to you over and over and over again. Jesus does not get tired of being joyful that you have turned to him. Because the cross for Jesus was joy. Why would a Roman cross be joyful for Jesus? Because he looked through the cross and saw the other side. The result is that you would be forgiven and you would be forgiven of your sin. And so by being forgiven of your sin, Jesus says, that brings me good joy, great joy. And so when I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, I messed up again. Lord, I need you. He's like, all right, I'm happy to help out. Let's go. Because he is the solution for our sin. How good it is to know that we're in good hands. So if you want to go, Father, can you love me? Answer is yes, because I have sent my son. We have the son, and through the son, we have the father. Okay. But now we have to talk about the spirit. We are to ask, seek, knock, and it will be given, found, and opened. So as we bother God and bother him happily, here's what we should know. Number three, that we ought to live in the best gift the Father has for us. And that's his Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. I want to reread verse 11 through 13. He says, Fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I have been a parent for only uh, 12 going on 13 months, and I have known, uh, I've learned that it is a good principle, uh, a baseline principle, that you shouldn't give scorpions to your children, and neither should you give them snakes. When they need something, you give them what they need, right? Um, if you've ever seen uh, John Quinones, um, uh, What Would You Do, that, that TV show, it's on YouTube, and I just go down that rabbit trail, and it's a lot of fun, and just watching those videos, he, he basically gets a whole bunch of actors and, and, puts, and, and maybe puts them in a restaurant where they act a certain way towards one another, and then real people come in, you got to see how they re- would react if you were, they were in that situation. Put yourself in this situation. You come over to my house for a moment, and you come over to my house, and you see my cute son Augie on, on, uh, in the living room, and you see me getting a bottle ready for him. But the bottle that I'm getting ready for him is a, uh, a, I have a gasoline, a gallon, and I'm pouring into the little bottle and tightening it up just so I can give it to my cute little son. What would you do? Hopefully, before you would even think to call CPS, you, 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 you would yell and keep that from happening, right? We know that's probably a bad idea, right? Bad parents know that. But if Jesus has shown us the Father, and the Father is better than the best parent, doesn't he know what is best for us? And if he knows what is best for us, we should pay attention when he gives us the things that we need. 
I wonder if maybe for a moment you've been thinking, okay, Aaron, I know that the Father is good. He gives us the things that we ask. I'm supposed to be bothering him and all of that and so on and so on. But you don't know what's going on in my situation. I've been praying for a job for who knows how long. I've been asking for that thing to be taken care of in my life, that sickness of my friend to be healed, and it just isn't happening. What do you got to say about that, preacher? Uh, And here's what I would want to say to you. A few years ago, I was in Fort Worth, Texas, and I was finishing up my master's work. Justina and I had been there for about, we ended up being there for about four years. And I remember while we were there, I was thinking about pursuing doctoral study, and I didn't have the means to make it work. I didn't know how, I was doing odd jobs, Justine was working full time, how was I gonna make this happen? The dean of students came to me and he said, hey, I've got a job in admissions for you. Um, I want you to apply for this job, and if you get this job, you'll be able to have free tuition, take care of your family, and you can end up having kids and, and being, have no, no problem financially. And I thought, what a gig. And so uh, maybe you can remember the last time you, you uh, sat down for a job interview. I got dressed up in my suit and tie, practiced in front of the mirror, what I was going to say, all of that, sat down for the job interview. And afterwards, I ended up not getting the job at all. And I was very, very angry because I went, you asked me to apply for the job, and yet I didn't get it. And I remember going, Lord, what are you trying to do to me? What are you trying to show me? And I was genuinely angry. Well, fast forward about eight, nine months. I'm in a U-Haul headed out here to uh, Fresno, California. We're going through New Mexico, and we're going through Arizona. All of our stuff is in the U-Haul, and, and uh, Fort Worth is in the rearview mirror. And I remember thinking this. See, what had happened was that not too long after that, in the Washington Post, New York Times, and various other national outlets, it came out that the president of our seminary had made some terrible decisions in some ethical areas that I won't go into. But I remember thinking, thank God I didn't end up getting in admissions and trying to get people to come to my school while all this was happening. Thank the Lord I didn't end up here. And I think about it this way, if, I, if that would have never worked out, if the Lord had said yes to my prayer and given me the thing that I wanted, I wouldn't be standing in front of you right now and part of this great work that we get to be a part of here in Southeast Fresno. So because the Lord said no to the prayer I thought he should have said yes to, it ended up being a blessing that I actually thought, I, I realized later, thank goodness that your will for me is better than the will I thought I would have for my own life. And so 1 John 5, 14 through 15 says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that when he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have asked the request we have asked of him. Got that mostly right there. The main point is this, is that when we ask according to his will, he hears us. And so the Lord may be saying yes to you, may be saying no because it's not his will, or he may be saying wait. And so if you're gonna pray, pray Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I can guarantee you this, though. You want to know something that is definitely always going to be God's will for your life is the outpouring of the Spirit. So let's spend just a moment and let's talk about that. When you look at this passage, you notice that Jesus says, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit, like it's future tense, like it's on the way. I'm going to give the Holy Spirit. Why? The Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out yet. You read Luke 3.16, and you're going to see John says, I baptize with water, but he who is coming will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus said, I have to go to my Father, and when I go, the Helper is going to come, and when he comes, he will empower you. And so when does that empowerment come? Acts 2, 
When Pentecost happens, the spirit is poured out and Peter preaches a sermon that convicts everyone. They say, brothers, what should we do? They were cut to their heart and they said, brothers, what should we do? And he says, repent every single one of you and believe and you will receive the promised Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized and you will receive the promised Holy Spirit. And that day, 3,000 people were baptized and entered into the church on day one. Amazing what God can do, build a mega church on day one, just like that. And so looking at this, we ought to go... Isn't it incredible that the Lord pours out his Holy Spirit upon us? Uh, You look in Acts 10, you find out that Cornelius and his household, they end up believing when they believe they receive the Spirit. And Peter will look back at that and say, look, they got the Spirit the same way we got it when when we first started this whole thing in Acts 2. And so the Lord has put out his Spirit, poured out his Spirit upon us. The question is, if you have received the Holy Spirit as a Christian, those who have called on the name of the Lord, are you living in his empowerment? Are you living in his empowerment? And there's two things I think that we can see. One, the confidence that the Christian has is that we have a Holy Spirit who is present in us that binds everybody in this room together that will never leave us or forsake us. The creator, his spirit, lives within us. And then the second thing is that he empowers us for ministry. He gives us the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things. Look at your character for just one moment, and I would say, where does the Holy Spirit want to transform your character and give you the fruit of the Spirit? Someone's in here is maybe thinking, why didn't I start with the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Christian, I do not care what gift of the Holy Spirit you have unless you have the fruit of the Spirit first in your life. Paul says, I could have the gift of tongues, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. And so look at your own life and go, Lord, where do you want to transform my character? Where do you want to transform my character? And then secondly, Lord, as I read your book, Holy Spirit, you made this book. You inspired it. Help me to read it. The next time you sit down to read, I would encourage you to say, Lord, help me to understand what you want to say. Now, when it comes to all of us in this room, I think the Spirit also wants to pour out gifts upon us this morning. Gifts like service and giving, leading, acts of mercy. Gift of mercy. My wife has that gift. Helping, teaching, the gift of tongues. It's a gift that the Lord gave me a few years ago. I was not ready for it, but he wanted it for me. And I said, yes, Lord, and amen. And it has been a blessing on my life. Maybe the Lord has that for some of us in here today. When he gives us these gifts, it isn't just for our own sake. It's for the blessing of the person to our left and to our right. And so the Lord has said, I want you to bother me. And by bothering him, he delights to give us good gifts. And so let's wrap this up. As the worship team comes up now, here's what we can say. You and I together, isn't it good news to know this? We serve a father who wants us to call him father through the son who has paved the way through his death and resurrection. And he has empowered us through the Holy Spirit to be able to live according to the fruit of the Spirit and not only the fruit of the Spirit, the empowerment through the gifts of the Spirit.